0: restaurants unstoppable episode 924 with chef susan spicer
1: i eventually learned that what set me apart and what enabled me to be chef was that i had certain standards i was not willing to surrender where i would see some of the cooks you know just didn't didn't have that same mindset so my goal was to try you know so i would say you know this is how we're going to do it and it's going to be like this every time and are you ready for it factors success stories failures and
0: bombs of restaurant industry knowledge then join eric cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable Stoppable listeners, You get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60 day pilot Profit, more butts and seats and that's not it if you are interested in this head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com rsp that's rsp for restaurant systems pro www.restaurantunstoppable.com rsp i don't need to tell you that it's harder than ever right now to be a restaurateur the cost of goods are going up labor expenses are going up People don't want to work in the industry. Anybody who had experience has has gone on to different verticals or different industries. And we are just stuck with a lot of people who are very green. And how how do we increase sales if nobody knows how to sell? Well, you empower them with the right tools. And one tool out there that you need to know about is called SR. R V which stands for study restaurant variety created by Roger Bodwin from restaurant rock a name I'm sure you recognize for his multiple appearances on the show and his co-founder and co-creator Zaylin Jacobson, who you'll be working with. This is a tool that will help your team memorize your menu, your, uh, your culture, uh, everything, anything you need to train them. Your entire training manual is now in an app and accessible anywhere in really what it is is an interactive learning tool and it's a great way to invest in your team and to make them feel valued there's a lot of data supporting that this is how the next generation of professionals prefer to learn so if you need a tool out there to empower your staff to train your staff uh to to give them the knowledge they need to be sales stars then check out srvnow.com click the link that says request a demo and that will bring you to a page where you fill out your information. The very last field, make sure you let them know that Restaurant Unstoppable sent you their way. They will pay us a commission of $1,500 if you use that link and you you sign up with them. And I just have to say thank you in advance. We're trying to take Restaurant Unstoppable to the next level. And this is one way we can do that by just spreading the word about these tools. And uh, I believe in what they're doing over there. So you're in good hands. Uh, thank you in advance. All right. Do it now. With excitement, allow me to introduce <laughs> to you today's guest, chef owner of Biona, Mondo, and Rosedale, Chef Susan Spicer. Susan, are you feeling unstoppable today? Oh, you know it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm super excited for today's conversation. Uh, so many great things has, have been said about you in my journey uh, throughout New Orleans, talking to different people, and you just have so much respect in this community over thirty years of experience now is that safe to say forty 40 over forty Whoa.
1: actually over forty I started in 1979 professional Wow I'm sure there's gonna be some great stuff to talk about <laughs> I
0: cannot wait to get into I don't it know. but let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra <laughs> what do you got for us
1: uh love what you do and begin with the end in mind. Mm, where did you learn that one, begin with the end in mind? There's actually, that's direct from that seven habits of highly effective people. Yep. But for some that's reason, I that's, I, I just browsed it. And that's the one that really stuck, that has stuck with me. Mm. And it, it has served me well. Why? Why does it stick with you? Um, because I, it, it's all about visualizing, um, you know, where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And then figuring out how to get there.
0: Mm-hmm. and it's always served you so for you what was the destination where did you want to go
1: well honestly um for most of my career i just focused on where i was um you know re- i was really focused on stayed the, here in the and present now. yeah yeah i i you know i was always you know i tried to put myself in situations where i was uh fairly compensated where i you know was learning something or where i was able to you know cook the food that i wanted to cook um you know so that i wasn't always you know hankering over the next thing mm-hmm. i wanted to just you know i was so excited I i started cooking late in life so i was just so excited by the process
0: yeah I mean, listening to you talk, it sounds like you were just satisfied. You were always satisfied.
1: I was. With, I was pretty you know, yeah. I was fortunate, really fortunate, to be you know, I was mentored uh well, I was taught well. Um, and then I just, you know, I just took myself into situations. It, things just kind of seemed to open up. So I always felt if you just focus on what you're doing, do the best job you can, opportunities would present themselves. So I don't know if that's a fatalist being a fatalist or, <laughs> or what it is, you know, what exactly it is, but that's kind of how my career has happened.
0: Yeah. Uh, it, listening to you talk, I I'm curious. Um, it sounds like you were very satisfied with where you were. And I feel like there's a, a, it seems like today people aren't as satisfied with where they are. They're always trying to move on to the next thing. Do you, have you noticed that in your 40 years, have you seen a trend that today people try to progress, move on faster or are there fewer people that are satisfied? And I
1: think, you know, some of that is just, um, not wanting to have a boss, you know, I think wanting to be your own boss is a, is a big thing for people. Um, you know, not, I don't know whether it's a you know anti authoritarian I agree you know. with you but I'm, I think it's just you know I know what I want to do and and I want to do it now, yeah. you know kind of thing and and for some people that that you know they've been very successful at that uh others you know i I would advise you know I like the process of taking a little more time learning working with different people, seeing you know what's going on i didn't do that as much and I sort of wish that I had had a little more time to do that
0: yeah I mean the thought that's going through my mind is that this this one of the, the this I don't know the things that you have one of the things one of your attributes is this idea of just being being okay it's like the, the Buddhist mindset of like it's like this now and I think today people aren't satisfied with where they want to be or where they are. They're always trying to get to the next thing because I think they're constantly comparing themselves to others. And I don't know. May, I'm going to bookmark this because I think it it makes sense to talk about this later in the yeah. conversation when we're talking about the now. But I did hear through talking to people that you're kind of a wild card growing up in your earlier days. Is that safe to say?
1: Oh <laughs> uh, m- mean, I'm uh, not sure what that <laughs> means. But uh, yeah, I mean, I did a lot of things. Yeah. I, I, I sowed some wild oats yeah. before before I started cooking I didn't start cooking till I was 26 so I had pretty much done a lot of traveling I had you know I had done my experimenting with this and that
0: (laughs) (laughs) so in your your early days what was life about like what were you trying to like what was your focus I was I
1: was searching yeah I was really you know I always loved music I loved you know, I still love going out and listening to live music, although I don't do it nearly as much as I should, being in this wonderful town of New Orleans. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, I just, of a certain age, you know, I just, uh, when things start late, I'm <laughs> more inclined to stay home. But um, I was, you know, I I would love to have had a career in music, but I didn't play anything and you know i had no particular talents in that area but i always felt that i could do something creative i wasn't an artist i wasn't you know i couldn't draw i couldn't paint i couldn't you know there were many things i couldn't do but i always felt there was something i could do (laughs) and so i just sort of drifted around looking you know trying different things but
0: but i think that's an important life lesson i think a lot of us um it's not they call it your your definite purpose in life like Mm -hmm. uh, when you're thinking like maslow's hierarchy of needs it's your that very pinnacle of of needs is finding your your absolute purpose your definite purpose in life and it doesn't happen overnight it happens through searching and trying different things yeah it doesn't
1: happen to everyone Yeah, that's the thing i mean you never know i mean i you know travel was a big part of of that process for me i really loved um you know seeing different cultures and yeah you know, I grew up in a navy family and we moved around oh, nice. a bit and lived in the Netherlands and stuff so going to Europe was was really great for me and you know eating outside yeah. a lot you know that's something that has definitely had an influence on me Seeing eating out or eating outside Eating outside like
0: specifically under the sun and the moon and like yes, the Yes. Yes
1: I mean that's one of the things that I always loved about you i don't know it just feels so good and just just makes you feel like you're kind of e- experiencing so many things at one time you know well
0: yeah, when you mean think about us how all of our ancestors ate. for the most part most of our ancestors like we started eating outside you know mm-hmm. around fire uh so what, what at what point did food really draw you in and call you in
1: uh, well, it would have been in the late seventies when I came back to New Orleans, I came back to New Orleans in the mid seventies cause my father had a stroke and I came oh. back and um, you know, home was, the yeah, Orleans. stayed yeah. at home and, and helped him out and things like that. And then I st- started, um, cooking socially with a girlfriend of mine. You know, I had a boyfriend and he had a friend who had a girlfriend and yeah, you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of Hot smoking back in those days, <laughs> this was the seventies, and uh, you were we, alluding to it earlier. Oh, I wasn't sure if to, I should. Should I pull oh, it back the <laughs> whatever you know? Uh, but um, so we used to have a lot of dinner parties. You know, we worked job. I don't know whatever our jobs were. You know, they were like daytime jobs, and then we'd get off, and um, you know, Pamela was a great cook and so she kind of got me involved and we would just do these nice dinner parties you know casual and yeah. everything then she started taking it more seriously and and um and got into it professionally and then she drew me into it
0: So at what point did you really start to f- like find your that you had a, a like a I don't want to say a passion well, or she, love for it but I'm assuming there's passion and love for you Absolutely here. yeah well <laughs> she
1: went to school in France and then she came back to New Orleans and started a catering company and she asked me to you know work with her helping her do that and and then she started doing some p- private cooking classes and the great thing was they were not she wasn't teaching recipes she was teaching technique mm. You know, she had read Jacques Pepin, you know, she had uh, gone to La Varenne in Paris. And so she, she did it all technique-based, which, you know, was really interesting to me. And so she taught me, you know, this is how you saute, this is how you braise, this is how you make a vinaigrette, this is how, you know, these kinds of things. And uh, it, it was at that point that it got really, um, you know, I was like, this is really amazing. And she was making a living from it, and uh, and then she... Actually, uh, got hired to be a restaurant, a, a chef at a restaurant, and she hired me. Okay, and that and the and rest is history. Yeah. yeah, Well, we got we both got fired from that job. <laughs> what happens? Is
0: there a story behind that?
1: <laughs> well, the owner was a a guy who had gone into the restaurant business. He was an insurance guy. Okay, we got in, and he he didn't like our attitude. He was always. Um, what was your attitude? Well, he was always trying to get us to do these dishes that he had dreamed up and they just weren't that great. So, oh. you know, we were not cooperating, I guess. And oh, so okay. he kind of gave me a good news, bad news speech. He's like, we're closing for vacation. The good news and the bad news is you <laughs> won't be here when <laughs> we come back. <laughs> I was like, I said, well, I think you're making a mistake.
0: Yeah, little does he know. <laughs> if it's 40 years later, uh, you'd be who you are today, right? Well, or even 20 years later. Little did I after, know, right?
1: too, but... That's you amazing.
0: Know. So um, where did you end up after that? Is that where you, in the, is this, I think the point, we're in the seventies. I know you were at with shit, uh, Daniel. I'm, I'm afraid I might not say his name. Bonnet. Am I saying it correctly? Bonnet. Bonnet. Bonneau. Bonneau.
1: Actually, Bonnet. I'm Bonneau. sorry. to say E.T., but it's actually B-O-N-N-O-T. Uh, not quite yet. Pamela had worked for Chef Danielle. And then uh, when we got fired, she went back to work for him at his uh, restaurant in the French Quarter. And then he went on summer vacation and left her in charge. And, one of the line cooks quit almost immediately and she hired me. Yeah. So, yeah. so I started working while he was out of town. Is there a period
0: along this early, like early in your journey where you're like, where you're starting to really recognize that you're like, what was it that made you really fall in love with it? Cause right now it's, it sounds like it's still just a job. But I was you- still,
1: I, well, I was curious. I was, um, I think, I think Pamela was, you know, very high strung. And so she, you know, she made it through the summer, but the day that, chef danielle came back she was gone (laughs) and then he kind of just didn't acknowledge my presence that much for a couple of weeks but i would he had this little tiny office up a set of like you know like metal stairs yeah Yeah. and but he had tons of books and actually i could i could read a lot of them were french but i could read french pretty well because i took it in high school and a little bit in college and um so i would go up and just start checking out his books and then then i would start asking him questions and i started you know once that process started uh it became you know it it led to a mentor mentee mm. kind of uh situation where he said okay so she really she's, interest.
0: she's, she's interested she's yeah. interested
1: and you know and the fact was and this is very you know boring but i was a I was a very good employee. Yeah. I was a really, really good employee. What made you
0: a good employee? Like, kind of paint um, the picture of what a good employee is.
1: Well, I was so excited about learning. Mm-hmm. I mean, I at that point, really, really kind of caught fire once I started actually being in a real restaurant kitchen and, you know, feeling like this is a profession. Um, you know, I would sort of come early and leave late and do a lot of it on my own time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was single uh you know i think i had a boyfriend (laughs) but i didn't you know
0: work was priority
1: work was priority and and it was also fascinating to Mm -hmm. me so you know it's just there i was kind of willing to you know and i'm still the one that you know, picks up the rotten lettuce off the walk-in floor. I mean, you know, it started then and it continues to this day.
0: So at some point you, you say to yourself, I'm in this, like I'm really going to pursue this. I'm going to travel. I'm going to learn all I can learn. When does that fire inside of you spark? Uh,
1: Pretty much right at this yeah, point, pretty much at this point, you know? And, and I mean, I, I also knew being 26, you know, I realized that, I was getting a late start. So yeah, I was pretty Ish. much I not was, that late of a no, start. Though. But you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Daniel started cooking when he was like 14, you know, he was in the kitchens having to light the wood burning ovens yeah. and stuff like that. I, I will know, say
0: so. that people that find this industry later tend to hit it harder. Yeah. Uh, and I, and especially when it comes to going to say like the CIA going to the CIA at the age of 18, you're not going to get the same out of that experience as if you were to go when you're 24 when you get a lot of the parting out of your system. And I think you just, there's a lot of evolution and maturity that happens in that six year period. Uh, So you, you get the most, you really ring the most out of that experience and you, and the networking that comes from that and you just show up differently. So I think when you wait, if you wait later in life to really find your passion, I think when you find it, you show up differently are you willing to, are you shaking your oh, head oh you yeah know? i agree yeah, i sure. agree
1: you know but you know and there's a little bit of you know urgency <laughs> because you know you you know you kind of i mean i sort of felt like i had to make up for lost time a mm. little bit you know mm. but also it was just it was just fun to me it was like oh my gosh you know yeah. and i would ask daniel questions like you know are mushrooms and tarragon okay to put together or you know is this combination okay you know can i do this what are the rules what are the well, you think guidelines? about it like today you know,
0: there's so many resources just the internet alone oh my gosh uh and then but like you have tools now like the the, the flavor bible and like the vegetarian flavor bible where like it,
1: so amazing it, they're they, great.
0: they spark so much creativity yes what were you going to say
1: oh no i was just you know i was laughing cuz the internet is just mind boggling to me still. Yeah, I still so every day just, you know, think like you can just you can learn how to break down a side of beef. You know, <laughs> yeah. you can do anything. I mean, you could probably learn some things wrong, you know, but yeah you can, you know, you look at a lot of different versions. But there are, you know, yeah, the books, they're such great books. Um there's one called The Flavor Principle. Uh, I'm trying to remember the woman who wrote it, but it was Page? really interesting to me. Karen no, Page? no yeah. it was bef- before that. And she basically talked about, um, you know, all the different cuisines and how like you have a soy sauce based cuisine and a fish sauce based cuisine. You know, she broke down the, the Asian, you know, instead of thinking of just Asian cuisine, you know, yeah. they're actually ones that are based more on soy sauce, you know, and then kind of the Southeast Asian where they use fish sauce. And, and, you know, she kind of broke down the basic flavor principles of all the different cuisines of the world and to me that was oh it sounds amazing it's really a great book
0: the name of the book bops uh into your head let me know because i'd like yeah it's called the
1: flavor principle
0: the flavor principle look it up we'll include it in the show notes if you guys are interested in checking that out so at what point are you like i'm gonna really go all in i'm gonna travel i'm gonna go learn like who steered you on this path to go travel in europe into in in california well
1: i had already um you know done that but uh like opportunities came for instance you know while i was working for danielle there was a a a hotel in paris a sophie tell that invited him to come and do this louisiana week promotion that they were doing and he was unable to go and i was like send me send me i'll go i'll go and and he did he talked them into taking me and i was not a sous chef or anything at that time i was basically a you know kind of the day lead line cook or whatever okay. it was you know prep cook um but he sent me to paris for a week with some other they were having like they had some louisiana uh some cajun musicians and they had this other guy who did a lot of um you know real he ran a cooking school and he was a real character uh but he didn't know any french so i would have to run around the kitchen and translate for him <laughs> and you know do my dishes and it was it was an amazing experience, and while I was there, um, you know, I was watching the chef because there was a fine dining restaurant and the brasserie. We were in the brasserie, you know, the twenty four hour restaurant. Okay. But it was all one kitchen, and the chef was like, they were just doing beautiful, beautiful food. So I worked up the nerve to ask him if I could come back and do a stage, Okay. And uh, that's you know that's when I went and worked. Uh, a little bit later, I went and worked for the summer.
0: So, it, from, like, this is like the 80s now, or like 1979? This was when, probably 82. 82. 82. 82, 82 yeah. So, in 1990s, when you open, um, Biona, uh, I'm saying that correctly, yeah. right? Yes. Okay. okay, I've heard it pronounced that different ways. Okay. Uh, Biona. So that was 1990. Where in this period between 1980 and 1990 do you think you grow the most as a professional? Because it's one thing to be a cook; it's one thing to, to to lead a kitchen. It's another thing to run a business. Yeah. Right. Where did you learn that business side of things?
1: Well, well, in 1982, Danielle gave me, uh, and I'd only been cooking for three years, but uh, we were working for a uh, it was a small hotel uh that was owned by one man and he bought another hotel and they decided to open a a restaurant there and Danielle said Susan could be the chef. What year what what was the name well, of this hotel? That was nineteen eighty two. What uh what was the name of this hotel? Uh well it was the St. Charles Hotel. Okay. And we opened the restaurant called uh uh Savoir Faire.
0: Okay. So that's what I had written down. I was afraid to say it. I'm yeah, going to it <laughs> savoir, savoir Faire. faire. Uh, so that was 1982. And this is... So the notes so that was I have... So right you, before you I did this. my
1: stage in, in uh, France. Okay. It, it opened after I came back from France.
0: Okay. So you come back. Um, you're a part of the opening team? I was the chef. You were the chef. Yeah. The opening team. That's what I... Th- I wasn't sure. Did you have equity in this business? Or were you no. just...
1: Okay. No. I was just the chef de cuisine. So what was that process like? This is the first restaurant you Oh, opened. it was crazy. I, you know, First of all, I thought they were crazy for giving me that position. Why? That's why it was very important for me to, this time I spent in France, because it gave me a chance to kind of compare where I was in terms of what I had learned up to this point. Was I ready? Where Where did I, you know, over there in, in Paris, the, the system, the brigade system, mm-hmm. is so much more like a, almost like military rank. Yeah. You know, you... You move up in rank um, with your experience, and you start as a commie, and then you move up, maybe, you know, to chef de partie, and then you know sous chef, and then you know. Um, so yeah, so you might be head of one little part of the kitchen, like the saute, you know, or you know, or the garde manger, yeah. or something like that, and then you get to be sous chef, yeah, and, and then chef. So, you know, I felt like my knowledge when I was over there was pretty close to sous chef level which over there was a pretty high rank
0: yeah what was it like i mean i'm assuming in this time to this day you could argue that it's we're still very much in a male predominant industry there's more men than women
1: oh yeah i was then even more so i was uh, i was quite the um i was staying at the hotel living at the hotel and and working you know, every day in the kitchen. And there were people that would sort of take detours through the kitchen to point at me and go, you know, look at the little girl chef, you know. <laughs> look at la petite cuisinière.
0: <laughs> what was that like? Um, was it challenging? Was it difficult for you?
1: It was mostly just great. I was mostly accepted by, you know, again, because I had good work habits, mm. you know. I, I I knew how to use a knife, and I knew, you know, some of the techniques, mm-hmm. and I I think I deferred you know, I wasn't, you know, I was over there. I was pretty humble. Mm-hmm. Um, this, and there were a couple of, there were you're always. You're still humble
0: for the record. <laughs> like just listening to you talk, even from when you walked in the door and like, I, it seems like everybody just holds you in such high regard. And when I was like, I'm so excited to talk to you, you're like, well, I don't know if I'm going to deliver anything. <laughs> uh, no, but that's such a great, I think, attribute to have to be humble and to not let your ego or your re- your reputation get get the best of
1: you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um. Well, over there, you know, I just, uh, it, it, it was just so exciting. And most of the guys were really, really um, nice and cooperative and sharing their notes and things like that. And there were, you know, out of forty there were probably two or three that were, yeah. you know. Jerks. Grumbled or whatever, <laughs> you know. But they didn't really impact my experience yeah. that much. And I, I I feel like somehow in my family, my, my dad always had high, I have four sisters and two brothers and my dad's ex- expectations of all of us were high you know he didn't say like well you two boys should go to college but you girls just get married or something you know i just never felt like there was something i couldn't do because i was a woman mm-hmm. it wasn't like i wasn't like a super feminist you know it just just didn't ever seem like a, a handicap to me <laughs> so i think there was that and
0: what, ad, what advice do you have for women out there who are, you know, trying to take the same path for you? Because it seems like there, there seems to be a narrative of, you hear it out there with a lot of the... It's got to be better now. You know, yeah. it's
1: got to be so much better. I mean, just generally, I think it's better for everybody. Mm. You know, workers are so much more empowered and all those things that, you know, people strive for. You know, there's been such a huge sea change through the COVID thing, you know. It yeah. just seemed to turn the whole world upside uh-huh. down. And it's still, you know, there. I'm still, you know... I still feel pretty old school compared to what's going on. What do you,
0: what do you mean by old school? Like what I is just, old school you know, in your mind?
1: Just that I that I never minded, you know, in fact, to my husband's dismay, I still love working. I still don't, you know, I still work long hours and I still, you know. Jonas was still, saying that you were supposed to retire. What's going? On? Uh, <laughs> how is that ever going to happen? So much for that. I know. I really, you know. Well, that's a whole other conversation, uh, Eric. We'll save because that. you know, we'll get there. I don't know what I'm going to be once I <laughs> retire. <laughs> what are you going to do with
0: yourself, right? I don't know. Uh, so back to like the, the timeline. You come back from Europe. You're, you're no, you're fine. Uh, you, you're giving the helm of
1: this restaurant. Oh, yeah. the hotel. And I thought everybody I hired knew more than I did. <laughs> but that's the secret. I was terrified. Isn't that the goal? To hire people that know the, more than the, you are? You're supposed to, yeah, but then you have to wrangle them. You, know? <laughs> you have to be the, the cook wrangler. Yeah. What was that like? Was that a challenge for you? It was very challenging. It was hard. How did you it was, overcome it? Um, I cried a lot. I went into, I had an office, so I would go in the office and cry. <laughs> I'm a crier. Um, Me too. No, it was, Um, you know, it was it really, like people would come up to me and they would say, you know, okay, what do you want me to do now? And I would give them a task that I hoped would last at least an hour. And then, like twenty minutes later, they'd be back. Okay, what do I do now? I'd just be like, go away. <laughs> no. But that's still not the case, is that? Do you think
0: that happens today, like it did then? No, so, no, w- um,
1: no. I just finally, you know, I finally, you know, had a menu. We had, you know, I had, I hired staff. I hired a great sous chef who you know reminded me of my brother and and he was just awesome and we just got a good crew of people together and i i i eventually learned that what set me apart and what enabled me to be chef was that i had certain standards i was not mm. willing to budge, surrender yeah you know and where i would see some of the cooks you know just didn't didn't have that same mindset, so my goal was to try. You know, so I would say, you know, this is how we're going to do it, and it's going to be like this every time, and you know, it's going to be really good, and you got to want to. So do that, that
0: that's going to be something that a lot of people who are listening to this must resonate with or identify with. Like, there's generally the leader, the owner, mm-hmm. the chef has a higher standard, and it's their job to maintain that standard. Uh, when you saw people with a subpar standard. How did you have that dialogue with them to bring oh, the standard up? How you did know. you
1: approach that? I well, whether it was a, you know, I mean, I wasn't, I don't think I was a yeller. I was maybe a yeller for a little while, you know, uh, leaned more towards sarcasm. <laughs> but I don't know. You know, you just try to, uh, obviously you have to lead by example. You have to be willing to, you know, not you let yourself it. yeah, slack or, you know, try to pass something off, you know, or. Or let something go out that you know isn't right. You know, you just have to...
0: So would you just correct it with your actions of showing? Or would you... If you saw something that wasn't the standard, would you say something? Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, you had to. Yeah. Yeah. But from... Your I mean, style sounds like that. It reminds me of that. the words of Danny Meyer of the constant gentle pressure
1: of just this is how we do it. I think it was less gentle than okay. I I'm... You know, I've learned... Yeah. ...that you have to be nicer mm-hmm. now. Yeah. I will tell you one... One, I had a, a, a line cook who's a chef now, and he was, uh, you know, part of a team of really great cooks who are all chefs now um, at Bayona, and he went to France. I set him up, you know, with a stage to go to France, and he worked in he worked in a couple of different restaurants. He he worked in one, and then he found another one that was really great for him, but he said the first one, the guy was so mean, the chef was so mean that, um, and there's always kind of a, a fall guy in, in the kitchen. You know, the guy who just can't do anything right. And one day he was whipping egg whites for a souffle and the chef came in and, you know, he was obviously doing it wrong. And the chef picked up a plastic spatula with the egg whites the, and slapped him in oh. the face with it. And I was just Don't so horrified today. at that. I was so horrified. He said the guy like ran out crying, you know, but I ha I will say I have mentally. Slapped a few people with a spatula with egg whites.
0: So just coming down with the words?
1: Just no, I'm saying just in my mind, you know. I I would do it, and it makes me laugh. (laughs) It makes me laugh because it's just so heinous, you know. It's just can i couldn't shift susan's laughing
0: in the kitchen again what are you laughing about i just slapped you in the face with a spatula that's all
1: with egg white <laughs> yeah. it's like the pie in the face <laughs> yeah. but really even worse It's oh, so funny so but i would never yeah. you know i mean i laugh because it's just so unthinkable right not because i want to do it although maybe sometimes okay.
0: <laughs> Guilty pleasure in your mind. You enjoy it. In my mind only, I
1: swear.
0: (laughs) So from this time, your time at the the head of this restaurant when you're in 1982 uh, to Bayona in 19, or sorry, Bayona in 1990. There
1: was two more experiences. I worked as a line cook at a, a, a Sofitel that opened here, um, uh, I had gone and traveled and come back. I left. I left. I left uh, faire after about four years. They wanted the Paul Prudhomme was really big at that time, Mm -hmm. and the owner wanted it to be more kind of Cajun. And I was still pretty enthralled with the French thing, Mm -hmm. so I felt like it was a good time to leave. My chef mentor had left to open uh, another restaurant, and I wanted to travel again. So I traveled. I came back. I went to work at the Sofitel just as a line cook. It was uh, Alsatian French, and I had never really experienced that. So I did that for a little while, and then uh, somebody contacted me, and they wanted to open a small hotel in the French Quarter. And it was a lovely little boutique hotel that had never had a restaurant, but they bought this tiny little space next door and wanted to turn it into a restaurant, and that became the Bistro at Maison de Ville. And I okay. got the chef position there. Got it. And this is the last. That was 86.
0: This is the last role you held before opening your first restaurant. Correct. Uh, was there an evolutionary time? Was this an evolutionary time? That for you, was you for
1: me because, yeah. Then I was, before when I opened Sapua Air, it was my very first chef position. I was learning, but I had Danielle kind of holding my hand mm-hmm. and guiding me. And this was the first thing that I really did on my own. Came up with my own, you know, really. Came up with my own menu items yeah. and, you know, kind of developed my own menu. And were so there, that was a big deal. Were there challenges for you during this time? Well, it was t- yeah. First of all, the size of the kitchen was <laughs> a <laughs> challenge. We opened up and our, you know, our garden manger was like a an ice chest. You know, yeah. it was, I mean, it was tiny. It was like a submarine kitchen. It was really tight. It was 40 seats.
0: So what did you learn to overcome a challenge, like a small um, kitchen?
1: You know, just... Well, first of all, you just got to roll with the punches. You got to just be flexible. I learned that cooking on various cruise ships because in 1988 uh, I got the Food and Wine Best New Chef, which was really amazing and uh, you know, a that great. Is amazing. Yeah, it was great, and I got to meet a lot of my peers from around the country. Wait, this was before you opening Bayona. Before I opened Bayona, oh, well, yeah, I didn't know that. 1988. So Beautiful. it was yeah. There were like so many. Uh, you know, just incredible people. Um, uh, think, Nobu was look, one of them wow. that year. Wow! So <laughs> yeah. do you think this is kind of
0: the, uh, the spotlight that helped kind of set you up to, to do your own thing, the, the attention
1: you needed to, to well, get kinda, the, I, you know, I think, I think what happened was, you know, a lot of locals remembered me from Savoie Fair, even though it had been a couple of years I'd built up kind of, you know, I was a pretty successful mm-hmm, mm-hmm. restaurant and I think, you know, So a lot of people came to the Bistro at Maison de Ville, and it was charming. It was really a a cute place, and, you know, it was an open kitchen. Everybody had to walk past the tiny kitchen to get to the bathroom or to the patio, and so, you know, there was a lot of interaction. Mm -hmm. I knew a lot of the guests, and, um, in fact, my partner at Bayona, Regina, was one of one of our best customers okay, and and our manager uh, at Bayona was also a good customer. He was working at the Windsor court at that time. So we became good friends. So yeah, it was a, uh, that time was, was, you know, really an important time in my career just because I, you know, I, I think because of my connection with the locals. And I think in new, in a food town like new Orleans, if, if the locals follow you, you know everybody wants to when you go to any place you want to eat where the locals go right so I mean that's the first thing you do is ask somebody who lives there where do you go where you know I
0: think this is a great lesson the importance of getting roots in a community before opening a restaurant yeah. um people don't do business with names of restaurants they do business with people
1: yeah and we also you know I'm also proud that I started uh I connected with um Share Our Strength at that time and my sous chef and I created the first Share Our Strength fundraiser um which we did in City Park and uh we had like uh Harry Connick Jr stop by and did a, a about a 15 minute set that was right before he exploded you know but so we so we started that Share Our Strength is a grassroots organization uh, yeah. based in DC and they've been doing hunger relief uh for you know 30 something years.
0: So what advice do you have for people who are listening to this, who want to open a restaurant, but admittedly are just like, I don't really, I'm not that involved at it. People don't know who I am. I don't, I don't really have a great connection with my guests. I'm, I'm locked away in the back. You know, how do you, how do you get yourself out there? How do you develop
1: these relationships? I guess it depends on the place where you're working. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of people do it through pop-ups. Uh, you know, um, a lot of people, I mean, I think you can, I think, yeah, I think, well, you know, and this is, again, pre-COVID, there were a lot more of these kinds of fundraising and and charity events, uh, you know, in the community. I mean, they're not, I mean, they're starting again. I kind of didn't for a few years, but I always, you know, New Orleans is my hometown, so I always felt it was, like, super important and part of what I do to be as involved as I could be, to do as many functions as I could, and, yeah, you pick some of your favorites, and, uh, but, you know, you still, I just think, you know, just whatever you can do to, to Volunteer in your community, or be be part yeah. of those kinds of things. There's just, a lot of ways. To, just get involved. Start yeah. bumping
0: up against people. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, that the, one of the biggest lessons for me in all these interviews is you never know who your future investor is going to be. It could never be do. yeah one of your guests. You know, your for your sure. future business partner could be one of your guests. Yeah, and in this case, that that was. absolutely yeah so what was at this time actually now's a great time to take our first break to thank our sponsors we'll be right back to start talking about the the creation of biona and and how that came to be You're already using like toast to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant unstoppable members get three months. Absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S. Dot com unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. We are back. And I was just distracted by Rattler. If you guys hear the, the, the shaking of a, a caller, Rattler uh, joined it us today. She keeps, she, <laughs> she keeps on coming over and saying hi. If you're watching the video, you can see her scurrying around in the background. Uh, so we, in, in the timeline, you were just about to open Biona. You're bumping up against your future business partners. Mm-hmm. Uh, who approaches who? How does this vision for Biona come into reality?
1: Um, well, Regina and her husband, Ron, approached me and said, you know, everybody used to, would complain because uh, the bistro was so small that it was hard sometimes to get reservations. So people were always going like, you need a bigger restaurant. You need a bigger restaurant. And I was like, well, whatever, you know, I was pretty happy. Do you um, agree
0: with that statement that you need a b- bigger restaurant?
1: No, not necessarily. Um, it, it, you know, the kitchen was challenging it continued to be challenging so you know i I thought it would be nice to maybe but again i just wasn't i wasn't that hungry i was being like i said i was being fairly compensated i was doing whatever i wanted you know i had you know a nice staff
0: i think the, the argument in the past has been look, if you open a restaurant if you own a restaurant whether you have 30 seats or 90 seats the work is generally about the same. You still have to go through the same motions every day. Sure. Uh, it's just a matter of volume at that point. You just hire and you, you can do more.
1: Yeah. And staffing. And You, staffing. Know, you can,
0: you know, and, but I, I would argue that today with the limitations on staffing, it, it can be better to go smaller <laughs> okay. and to, and to really be smart with your menu and intentional with your menu to, to have a low, a, a, a light lifting menu yes. where you can do it with two or three people. Yes. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Oh, no, I, I would agree. Although, you know, and even here at Rosedale where the idea was to, you know, keep it much, much simpler than biona, I still, you know, I've been finding myself lately, you know, doing all these specials that have like different <laughs> parts and, you know, I have to keep telling myself, don't, you know, don't make it too complicated, you know, just make it fit with what you're doing here. You know, it doesn't have to have all those bells and whistles. Is it safe to say? Yeah. Sorry. No, no, just make it good and keep it simple.
0: Yeah. Well, I've noticed in your evolution as a restaurateur, um, is it safe to say that Bayona is probably your most ambitious restaurant?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Fine dining. You know, it's a, it's kind of a grind. That's why I'm not doing it anymore. I mean, I'm you know I'm not going to say how old I am, but you know, like I said, I started cooking. Forty in years in the industry. Started 40, at twenty six. Forty three. Forty three. Started at the age of twenty six. <laughs> okay. Um. So you're I smart mean,
0: out. <laughs> the, I mean, if anything, I'm just trying to give you credit that you're you know you're tr- you're you're moving. A- strongly still going. I mean, most people can't do what you do at, at this point yeah. in their life. You know, yeah. it's a test. Well,
1: build up a certain amount of stamina. Yeah. If you if, do it
0: that long, if you keep going, like, I do say, don't- use it or lose it right
1: yeah it's true it's true i mean i you know i definitely think i have more stamina than most of the youngsters that i have <laughs> working for me uh
0: so with back to the biona okay. and, and uh this 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 project that you take on um how did it unfold okay so
1: they so they uh this couple came to me and said you know we'd like to back you you know if you want to do a a different restaurant a bigger restaurant you know why don't let's look at some so i was like okay let's look at some were spaces i liked them yeah it was um it's my partner regina okay. who i eventually opened Got the it. restaurant with um what was regina's story up to this point what was um she doing? came from a pretty wealthy family and okay. you know she and ron loved to wine and dine and you know they were just very nice are they and,
0: business people were they what was her role, I guess, in... in
1: Just a financial, financial role. Partner. She didn't have any okay. kind of restaurant experience, you know, but, you know. Any advice think.
0: on entering into those types of relationships?
1: You know, I mean, we've been partners for, you know, three decades now, and it's worked out pretty well. uh it doesn't always work out that well, um, but, you know, she's, she's really... Uh, the only partner i've ever had so i don't i don't you know the other things i've done kind of on my own so i don't really you know just you just have to have a good feeling i mean you want to bet somebody certainly make sure they're not yeah. you know
0: and, and this is so when we started talking earlier when I was giving <laughs> you the like briefing for today's conversation I was like sometimes we get into like personal stuff and it can be weird to talk about these things and a lot of it is around partnerships because mm-hmm. you don't want to air your you know laundry out publicly and talk about right. challenges you have past partners things that you think they did wrong you don't want to yeah. drag people's names through
1: no it's true the Regina mud. and I have very different perspectives I was always you know I would say a little bit more of, a, of an employee advocate And, you know, she was more of a bottom line watcher, but she always had faith in me and gave me free reign. So, you know, for that, I'm grateful. That's probably Um, one of the
0: (laughs) reasons why you guys make a good partnership Mm -hmm. is because you're focused on advocating for the employees. You need that voice, but also the bottom line does matter.
1: Yes, it absolutely does. (laughs) So it was a good balance, I guess, you know, for that. Um, So we looked at some places and nothing felt right. To me, you know, we looked at about four different three, three maybe locations and, eh, you know, so I said, uh, you know, let's just let it mm-hmm. go for now until something else comes up. And then another one of my regular customers uh, called me and said, I just bought this building I think you should look at. And I happen to have a history, I not a history with the building, but I used to walk by it on my way mm. to working with Danielle at the hotel um, and I was always fascinated by it uh it was a restaurant all during the 60s and 70s and uh 80s what and was fascinating about it uh, it was a kind of a fancy Creole restaurant, and I would look in the windows, and they, you know, would have tuxedoed waiters with mm. Garadons, and, you know, just, they always had this, like, old yellow, kind of a Rolls Royce, like a 1930s car in the carriageway, and it was just, you know, I always, it was like, you know, the Great Gatsby or something yeah. walking by and yeah. just looking in, you know, it was just kind of a little piece of restaurant history, and I always sort of wondered what was going on in there you know we found out (laughs) i did indeed so when he said that was the well it had been a restaurant that had opened recently and and uh the owner had uh sadly somebody i knew had uh committed suicide so it's always a bummer uh the family sold the restaurant lock stock and barrel it was a turnkey kind of situation
0: but that's a lesson yes what is the lesson
1: what What is the lesson? The lesson
0: in, in the, <laughs> the value of a turnkey.
1: Oh, just, you know, that you have everything there ready to go. What are you I mean, do
0: you Have you ever had a restaurant that wasn't turnkey?
1: Yeah, this one Exa- wasn't. I had to build a kitchen. Exactly. Would <laughs> yeah. you have
0: been able to do that then, do you think? Oh well, you probably could no, have well I thing. didn't,
1: you know. Uh, yeah, no, anything. Uh, most of the places we looked at had kitchens already. Yeah. What yeah. were the
0: first three locations missing that this... Wasn't missing
1: just a feeling, maybe uh, you know, and one of the one of my spec, you know, specifications that I it had to have outdoor dining, had yeah. to have a patio, yeah, had to have a, yeah, that was absolutely positively, uh,
0: you know, for you is that deal. more of like an an emotional thing or is that more of like a a pragmatic uh, volume thing where you? Can-
1: it's an emotional. It was just yeah. It's an emotional um part of you know if I and i don't have visions a lot i know i said begin with the end of mind and kind of visualize where you want to go but that was one of like for me that was one of the things i visualized if i ever had my own restaurant you know which i never had felt a pressing need to Mm do but when the opportunity presented itself it was like hey you know this place i went and looked at the place and at that time the the patio was completely overgrown they hadn't really used it it was a 200 year old krill cottage yeah. it was beautiful it was the big enough but the space was divided into several different rooms so it didn't feel like mm-hmm. this you know like a big open space you Got know it, it seemed it, it had some intimacy and some character and and it had this beautiful patio yeah. and it had a kitchen um with equipment and plates and you know, everything and you know uh, how,
0: how big of a restaurant was by owner is by owner i should say um, it's still going strong today
1: oh god i have to, it, it's uh how many seats do you know this is something I knew <laughs> for many years but i have i'm um, putting you on the spot yeah it's Ballpark. uh i'm trying to think we've done like 80 somewhere around Eight. 80 and then we have a dining room upstairs Got it. Um, private is it a private? It's one? pretty close to. Is it pretty close to a hundred seats between the three? I'm sure. We'll just say hundred seats. Between was that, eighty and a hundred. Was that bigger than anything you were doing oh, before? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely.
0: So what would you say? Your what? Reflecting back at this time, like what was the most challenging part of
1: it for you? Oh man, um, you know, I had a bigger kitchen. It was the kitchen was appropriate in size, so. You know, Savoir Fair was probably sixty seats. You know, so it wasn't. It was it wasn't small, but it wasn't tiny. Yeah. But it wasn't. Yeah. So I don't know. I the size wasn't that big a factor, and I had a sous chef who I had already worked with. You know, who came with me. Um, I had Michael, who was our dining room manager, who was just. You know, he was a sommelier at the Windsor Court, and he had a brilliant palate. And yeah. he was a sparkling personality, yeah. and so he was awesome. You, um,
0: I think you're bringing up another huge, important lesson that oh I've learned is not only when you, if you're when you're when you're working in a city for ten years before opening your own place, you're building relationships not just with your uh, guests, not just the people, but you're building a team around yourself, an opening team. Yeah, is that was that in the Hopefully. back of your mind?
1: Nope no not really i mean michael and i had started talking about it a little bit um uh you know he would come and we would you know he would say you know if you you know it would just sort of you fantasize a little bit if, yeah, yeah you start dreaming your your yeah. you're, you're,
0: you're shoulder shoulder with these people every day you're talking you're dreaming yeah. uh you're, you're you have shared passion you know like what's it the was future just, you know like,
1: and the, the the idea of you know the Windsor Court at that time was the fanciest hotel. It was you know the grill room was the fanciest restaurant, and you know very high quality. And to you know to get somebody like like this guy to come to my restaurant, I mean, I felt like that was just such a you know huge boost because this guy's Michael. Yes, and who was yeah. Michael exactly? Um he was a sommelier at the at the grill room Got it. and just a good customer of mine. And I'm, you know, just because we're talking, I'm blanking out on his last name. He actually, has <laughs> a very strange, so well, it's a very strange story because many years, you know, he worked for Bayona many years and then went to do this other wine bar and then he basically vanished off the face of the earth. So it's a sad story in the end. Um, we don't know what happened to him, oh really, yeah, yeah, we think he went off to Europe somewhere we don't Sometimes,
0: was, let's just pretend that he got lost like everybody wished they could
1: yes, but uh <laughs> anyway, but yeah. his coming to Piona with me was a it was a really huge advantage because he brought uh some staff, some really great staff, and a lot of customers, so many customers mm. they loved him, he mm-hmm. was charming and funny, and you know brilliant palate you know you can't do it alone no absolutely he started the tradition at biona you know the wine the wine program at biona has always been really strong really strong we've Mm -hmm. always had a great he set the standard there he did for sure and he and he trained you know a couple of our uh subsequent uh, got it sommeliers
0: so during this time this 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 first restaurant that you own what are there any hard lessons that you can share with somebody? And as you're talking, as you're thinking, think about who you were in 1990, what you were about to get into and what advice you wish you had getting into that.
1: Well, here's what I think helped me be successful at Biona is that with my two other chef positions that I had, um, I tried to I, I didn't, I don't know if I even consciously was saying, well, I'm going to just pretend this is my restaurant. But I behaved as if it were. I was very, very conscious about food cost and labor cost. And, you know, so I was learning with somebody else's money. Mm-hmm. But I paid attention to what, you know, it was my goal to make whatever, you know, yeah. Treat it like you own it. Successful. Maybe someday you will, yes. or
0: at least you will create an opportunity for yourself by yeah. doing that.
1: So I mean, you know, I was I learned that pretty on oh, it. I don't really know I, cause I don't remember Danielle exactly teaching me about food costs, but probably it started there. You know, and then just this with some research and and reading and things like that. You Where know, you I learned about that.
0: Most people fall short when it comes to food costs and and managing those numbers.
1: Uh, I think there's, you know, waste. I have seen, you know, just doing events like, you know, when I was talking about all the different events that I've done all over the country for all kinds of things, you know, mostly charity fundraisers and stuff. But even there, I just remember one time being out in California at some event and just seeing, you know, and this was, I think, another chef from New Orleans was there and they were doing uh, a foie gras something and they were trimming the ends of these torchon rolls of foie gras and just throwing them in the Ugh. garbage. And I was, my, my sous chef and I were just like, <laughs> you know. What would you do with that? Oh, my
0: God. Like, well, just I thinking about, like, what know. you could do with it. Like I, something. I it's for Yes.
1: Yeah. You could do tons of stuff with yeah. it. But, um that just goes back to one of the things um you know i always kind of liked math when i was in school Uh, as it got more into like trig and algebra two and stuff like that i wasn't as good but you know basic math doing the math i that's one of the things that i try to teach my cooks and that is also begin with the end in mind and it's also about wasting as little as possible so i would always calculate you know if i was doing something where i had to schlep 400 portions across country yeah you know i would i would figure out
0: scale the recipe i would do the
1: math yeah. you know and i would say well you know how can i have you know and, and then try to bring maybe like 10 percent more just in case you want you don't want to run out but you know it was just against my nature yeah. to want to th- throw a ton of food away and it still is you're
0: you're reminding me of a company right now that exists today and it's called me's and it basically helps with just this this type of thing it's just scaling recipes and a lot of people especially today a lot of people who are working in restaurants don't have a lot of past experience you think about the past two years restaurants were closed for the most part and now we're opening back up and it's two years later and most of your 18, 19 year olds were too young to work really like in the restaurant to the degree they work in restaurants today. So you're having a lot of green people coming into kitchens yes. in the front of house. Um, and there's so many tools, but Mies is one of those tools, just a little plug to a past sponsor. And it's a, it's a tool to help you scale and manage recipes. Um, mm-hmm. and also train people on recipes yeah. so it's, cause it's like, it's really cool. Check it out. Oh, um, well, yeah, yeah. So not the, so,
1: but just, you know, just, yeah, just not wasting, you know, uh, stuff, which is huge, mm-hmm. I think, for sure. Like lesson that you know,
0: but in an in industry where the margins are so small, you don't. I mean, you can drive revenue, but you can also plug holes, right, and keep mm-hmm. money from leaking out. Yeah, uh, and it's. I thought it was also kind of ironic that you're at an event for was this one of the, the <laughs> events for like food insecurity? I, people I'm are throwing sure, a frog wall was. away. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, you
1: know. I wrote, it, I wrote, there are all kinds of I don't know how, ironies. And, I know. That.
0: I don't know how accurate this, this, um, fact is, or this stat is, but I've heard near 50% of all the food that we produce on this planet is thrown away. Oh,
1: I, I, I have definitely read that too. And it, you know, I mean, even at home, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. very conscious of that. I, try so hard to use <laughs> I was on you the know. flight
0: over here and there was an eggplant in my pantry that I was like oh I forgot to use the eggplant Ugh. like I'm going to hell <laughs> like but it, no it's true like we can be so much more mindful We, if we really monitor and pay attention to what's going out and we, we you, listening to you talk reminded me of this video I recently watched um, uh, it's basically sharing the story of this, this barbecue in Texas called Goldie's. They're newer, and they just won Best Barbecue in Texas recently. Wow. And uh, this videographer was documenting the, the the day in the life of this the Best Barbecue in Texas. And um, they make their own bread because a lot of barbecue places, that's like a, an afterthought. They just get white bread mm-hmm. and keep it simple, but they make their own bread, and they, they trim the ends off the bread so that all the slices are the right size, so it's equal... And they make bread pudding out of that and their bread pudding is one of the most popular things. So like when, when you're creative, you could be yeah. a barbecue restaurant and focus on the meat in one of your most profitable things because what are the margins on bread pudding?
1: Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, they, exactly. they, most places
0: would throw that away.
1: Do it all the time,
0: and that is right. such a great way to take something that would be thrown away and have it have the best margins yeah. on your menu. Because, yeah. like, think of when you're when you're doing like, what are the margins like on a brisket that yeah, you put <laughs> <laughs> endless hours into cooking? Right, the labor associated with that versus the ends of bread that you, most places would throw in the garbage, and you're making like. Just think creatively. Don't oh, yeah. throw things away. You're losing opportunity. First, you're, you're wasting money, and you could turn that waste into a profit.
1: Yeah, it, totally. It just,
0: to think outside the box. What's going through your mind?
1: Oh, I just uh, when I first uh, you know started when I was working for Danielle. When you know my my very first job at uh, um, uh, the Louis XVI, uh, he had me. I would make the soups, and so I did this research um, on garlic soup because I had heard my boyfriend who traveled in mexico he would always talk about sopa de ajo and so i looked at different versions which of course you had to go to books and go to the library and look up in books you couldn't go to the internet at that point um and i read all these different versions of garlic soup and some were broth with like eggs and garlic and stuff but i wanted to do more of a puree and i found different ones different stocks different thickeners you know things like that and then one that was thickened with stale bread mm. and i was like oh my god that's <laughs> yeah, it so yeah. we made you know over my uh, career you know uh, we made started making that soup at the louis 16th i made it at savoir Fair, and i brought it to uh, the bistro and then to biona and they're still making it at biona and we make gallons and gallons of it and we used, you know who doesn't have stale bread yeah and so yeah you know, exactly it was just like
0: get creative things so. like yeah. increase your mark don't throw
1: things away waste will kill you of course that was also before the days of gluten free oh my gosh <laughs> right you gotta be mindful of that nobody was worried about that back right.
0: then seriously uh so Okay. But getting big picture, zooming up to 30,000 feet, the year now is 1990 as far as our timeline and what we're discussing. Mm -hmm. The mission statement of Restaurant Unstoppable is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Uh, So in that note of transformation, what for you were the transformative moments in your career as far as taking it to the next level? Uh, And and was, was there, I mean, it sounds like you were operating at a pretty high level when you opened Bayona. In 1993, you won the James Beard. You, had, you were four-star, are a four-star restaurant. So it's pretty safe to say you were operating at a pretty evolved level at this point. But from what well, like
1: I the- think for, for me, it was um, being able to finally, you know, to really take uh, what I learned from my travels and from my curiosity about World cuisines of the world yeah and kind of put it into practice so that's what we did at biona so it's you know it really was uh, a pretty global globally inspired yeah. menu um what do and you think that was so much fun for me i just said you know i didn't have the italian grandma i didn't Grow up, you know, my mother's Danish, but she learned to cook Indonesian food when we lived in Holland and she was, you know, she was always cooking different things. And I grew up eating with a very, I would say, international palate. And I traveled. I went, you know, I was lucky enough to get a job. You know, I cooked in Thailand for a couple of weeks at a hotel there. Um, You know, by that time, I'd been to Italy and Spain and and France, of course, numerous times. And, you know, remembering the things that I learned from, you know, my time in Holland as a kid. Um, So I just started, you know, doing more research and just incorporating all these, you know, fun global ingredients. There started to be, you know, more Asian markets Mm -hmm. and you know, Spanish markets and things like that, that where I could find ingredients. And so th- for me, that was pretty much, I think, you know, before I had done more kind of French, you know, at Savoie Fair and then at the Bistro of Maison de Ville, kind of more, yeah. you know, new American kind of. And then I just went like, whoa, I can do whatever <laughs> I want. And You know, you're
0: making me think, um, you know, what was it about Bayona that, hit so hard. I mean, we talked about your relationships Mm -hmm. and the significance of having not just customer facing relationships, but bringing a team of opening people with you to be strong. Uh, But aside from, you know, your experience, your relationships, uh, the building was something that you was just right to. But what do you think it was about Biona? And I have some thoughts, but I don't want to say it until you, I want to see if I can't get out. What, What else do you think made it hit? the way it hit what was what was Bayona doing that no other restaurant was doing in the French quarter that made it stand out
1: well I think part of that it was in you know incorporating like the global you know kind of doing different yeah. food like I had people that would say you know I looked at the menu and I thought at first I thought it was kind of weird and I didn't know if I you know and then when I ate the food it yeah. was really delicious you know so that that's always been my goal. And and you know, we were never I, I was never like yeah, my techniques were pretty basic. They were still pretty grounded in French cuisine. Mm-hmm. I've never you know grasped onto a lot of the newer stuff i never did sous vide i never did you know i just really that's just like keep uh, it simple, you know, stupid just keep it simple yeah. but pretty but i always wanted you know flavor was the most important uh and then texture you know i always want that little yeah. crisp or crunch mm. you know in there if there's you know so just you know trying to what they call you know layering flavors whatever it is you know I wanted it to be so i think that was kind of it i think the cuisine was just interesting to people that had been used to you know i mean i'm so grateful that in new orleans we have an indigenous cuisine so the thought that i had
0: yes that um i think it's there but i'm just gonna say it okay you can tell me if i'm wrong or right (laughs) but i have to admit when i first uh heard about you and i heard from you from um I'm sure I heard about you before then, but it was Frank. So I, I I really try to let my guest, my current guest, dictate who I talk to in the future. Because mm-hmm. I think success recognizes success. And we live in a world where there's so much media out there. And it's easy to buy media today and to have a publicist to put mm-hmm. you in front of the right people. I really want to take a different path where it's word of mouth of people mm-hmm. who are successful saying it's you should talk the to us.
1: Exactly.
0: And that's really what we're trying to do is develop a trust here at Restaurant Unstoppable. So when Frank Brighton said that you got to talk to Susan Spicer hmm. and Frank being a New Orleans uh, traditional type of restaurant and brilliant. and brilliant and funny, I kind of assumed that Biona was that as well. And I didn't know that until sooner doing a little more research to get ready for today's conversation that you weren't that. And I think that the fact that you were I mean, in 1990 was there a general generalist cuisine hmm. of New Orleans as far as, like, was it mostly Creole and French? Was that really what was driving most of the restaurants?
1: I would say, for the most part, but actually even in the late 80s, there started to be a little bit of a um, indie movement, you know, where people were were opening smaller the, restaurants, through, more, more you know, the bistro-style yeah. restaurant and, and doing, and starting to, there was some experimentation going on. You know, not weird experimental, but expanding the palate or the palate and the vernacular of what was New Orleans cooking. So that's
0: kind of what I was I'm seeing with your story is like the word the single word that's coming to my mind is the juxtaposition of Iona, where you come to New Orleans, you're expecting traditional New Orleans food where mm-hmm. it's hard to stand out in that sea of Creole and Cajun. Like how can, like how many more of those restaurants do you need right. where if you really want to stand out, do something totally different, be the, be the other option. Yeah. And, and it sounds like that's kind but of, it
1: wasn't, you know, I wasn't super, I mean, I wasn't saying how, you know, I wasn't asking myself, how can I do this? I was just doing what I was interested yeah. in and what I felt I was good at. And yeah. that is combining flavors and learning and and you know and trying to it was always important to me and you know and nowadays you got to be careful you know you got to be so much more you know i guess mindful of everything but are you you know would how would what i was doing in 1990 if i just came in to start and but it's still kind of what i do here so you know it's just you know is the whole appropriation cultural appropriation you know you did not have to worry about stuff like that back yeah. then i mean i think there are times where it is important to think about that i
0: think it's important to pay homage to the origin I do,
1: but i when i was cooking you know a thai dish i was trying my best to learn as much about it as I could and to be respectful of not only the ingredients but the techniques and you know it doesn't mean that I could always recreate them uh you know completely the way it would be done there but I you know I certainly wasn't trying to yeah I mean I think it's one thing
0: you want to pay respect to whatever you're doing you don't want to disrespect a culture Uh, you want to be mindful of that but I think people take it too far. I mean, food is food. It's meant to be shared. Yeah. Uh, who's to say who can cook what and who can't cook what?
1: Uh, I I'll say it totally for you. I totally agree with that. <laughs> I'll I say it do. for you. Uh,
0: but, so reflecting, so it was just, if you could just distill what it was about biona that you think hit so well and so hard that. And I hate to say set you up for success in all of your future endeavors, but well, I'm sure it didn't they hurt. They weren't all
1: successful. <laughs> well,
0: let's, let's talk about some of those other ones then. So I know of three restaurants that you own currently. We have Biona, and there's a Mondo at the airport, but there was a standalone Mondo. Correct. Am I saying that correct? Mondo? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we have Rosedale today. But you, there was two restaurants that I think I know of. Uh,
1: well, I was a partner at Herb Saint. Okay. I started Herb Saint with Donald Got um, and then I was a chef at at a place called Cobalt that was in a um, Kempton Hotel. I so basically
0: Herb Saint was two thousand. Mm-hmm. And when was the next one?
1: I think uh, two thousand one was Cobalt.
0: Cobalt two thousand one. And um, wh- how long of a run did you have for those restaurants? Uh,
1: well, I was a partner at Herb Saint until like two thousand eight, something like that. That's and then a I just sold my, years. yeah. I just sold my partnership to Donald. He was moving on and doing. Yeah. Uh, other things. And that's, I opened Mondo not long. Okay. After that was it. Maybe it was, I can't remember. I, I'm getting my years. I think we opened Mondo in 2010. You Got a 40 year career. Yeah. to keep track of. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to pass. <laughs> we opened Mondo in 2010 and I sold it in 2019.
0: I saw that. And I saw that with a uh, Mondo. Um, it was a, a, an issue with the lease coming due. Um,
1: well, it was just a beast. You know, yeah. it was a big restaurant. It was a big, huge kitchen. Um, you know, it had over 100 seats. It had a bar. Yeah. And it was just a lot of employees. I'm mm-hmm. just, you know, honestly. I, just, I mean,
0: trying to do that today, imagine what kind of challenge Yes,
1: have. and I'm so grateful that it. You, you sold know, it that, just. That the I, time. <laughs> oh, my gosh. To think 2019. of going through that with more oh my restaurants goodness. would just be so sad. You yeah. know, just. Ugh. So, yeah, it was a relief because it was just. A, and I was trying to, at the time, I was, you know, I was running around to all three yeah. restaurants it so got let's, to let's talk about that much. transition
0: because so just <laughs> well, from I'm the a listeners. hands-on
1: person so that's yeah been the biggest challenge so, for me is delegating and 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 finding people that I am confident delegating to
0: so 1990 you opened Bayona yep. uh, 2000 it was your first time or not the? It was the second restaurant you owned right was there another restaurant between 1990 In Um, in her, no, there
1: was a a business called Spice Inc. Oh, that was that was my failure. What was Spice Inc.? (laughs) Spice Inc. was a multi. It's the concept started off as a place to do cooking classes and have a small retail situation. But I fell in love with the space, as I am wont to do. Yeah, um, which dictates yep. it dictates a lot of what I do is the space, which is why we're sitting here at Rosedale. Um, but I fell in love with the space, which was downtown um, in the warehouse district, which was not at its peak yet. Is uh, that where it's real Bywater to, is now mm, mm.
0: the warehouse district in that
1: area. No. No, no, Warehouse District is where Koshan and oh, Butcher, got it. and Emeralds and La Boca and it, all those places I'm, are. My geographic, yeah, that's okay.
0: Isn't great when it comes to this, the it's, city. It's
1: it's between Poydras Street and the interstate. Got it. Kind of any and where there's a lot of art galleries now, and it's, it's a very very booming area now. But back then yeah. it wasn't. There were a lot <laughs> of apartment buildings, but so uh, you fell in So all I space. opened, yeah, great space. Open cooking. School. The idea was that I would teach some classes because people were always asking me, "Where, you know, why don't you do a cooking classes?" Yeah. So, you know, and and at that point, this was, oh god, what year was it? This? Was before Curb 19... Saint?
0: It was after ninety seven. Okay. So,
1: Bayona had been open about seven years, seven or eight years. Um, and so I found this place. So we started this cooking school, but it was much bigger. So we not only did some retail stuff and i had a a boyfriend at the time that um had been involved in a really great uh retail space up in nashville a cheese shop and a retail thing and he was a just had he was a great uh what is uh what is the word when the uh, curator of you know he really had a great quality sensor and so we had a cheese shop We had this retail store, then we decided to do takeout food, and we were baking bread because at that point there were no artisanal bakeries in New Orleans. Um, so we started baking bread.
0: That's so hard to believe that it was so in '97. Many there wasn't an artisanal bakery in. North yes, West.
1: I know they were everywhere else, but wow. there were no. There really weren't very many European. So style. what was the failure? If you could, just the failure it to- was that we were doing so many things mm. that we couldn't figure out where the money was going and which part of it was profitable. We had cooking classes, retail, retail market, takeout food deli and like we even sold produce a small amount of produce because there were people in the building it was in a apartment building
0: so with the produce were you just ordering food for the restaurant and this buying extra to put out front basically yeah yeah
1: yes we would do that and then you know and then we would take you know produce and uh you know then we were doing having to prep the cooking classes and so we would get stuff from the retail part <laughs> and i'm really proud because my whole inspiration for doing this cooking school is like i can have all these chefs come and do classes and i can learn i can you know be yeah. like continuing ed for yeah. me but i was still you know chef at Bayona. and it's a and, lot um I was still, yeah, I did a Tuesday class every night, I mean, every week for two years, and I never repeated one. I would always, yeah, I know, I was, you know. (laughs) But I had people like, I had uh, um, uh, Jose Andres, uh, you know, when he was not very well known. I had Todd English, I had Mario Batali, I had, uh, you know, some wonderful uh, Thai woman chef who came from California, you know, we... I. I just reached out to all yeah. these people that I was interested in. And you know, some of them were people I knew and had, had, you know, become friends with. And some were just, okay, I want to learn from this Indian So talent. how
0: would that work? Would you invite them to do a, a guest? St-
1: yeah. And I we, we would pay for their hotel and, yeah. you know, and then I would charge people. And, uh, you know, I mean, it worked out, but I have no idea. If it, yeah. And you know, I just couldn't. There was nothing like it, and so I couldn't find an accountant, yeah you know, the system, yeah you know, how to so we were just in my mind it almost sounds money. like
0: yeah you you would have had to treat every element of that business like it's its own business, yes. and you would have had to do ordering for each from, yeah. and then oh, it was but, so confusing, yeah, but in the moment you're like we need we need onions, go to the go yeah. to go grab some onions from over there and then. You just don't know no. where the money is going. Yeah, I can see yeah. how that could get complicated. Oh, it was crazy,
1: and and there was no parking. Oh, the people that I was renting from. There was a parking lot across the street that they kept telling me they were going to buy and let me, oh. you know, use. Get that in writing. <laughs> and they never did. Uh. And then one day I saw the the you know self storage like building across the parking lot and i was like okay i just you know i was working seven days for like How long two years two years yeah i closed uh we closed new year's 1999 and i just didn't i just said you know what i'm not gonna reopen i didn't try to sell it i was just exhausted i was yeah you know i was
0: so were you were you still at the helm of biona at this time too were you there? yeah
1: yeah, I mean, I had, you know, but I
0: had... Did you really, Did you alleviate any of your responsibilities before starting this new project? Like, were you, did well, you I mean, I had a
1: chef de cuisine okay. at that point, you know, and but I was still over there. I was still, you know, I was like, you know, just people wanted to see me at Biona. Yeah. you know, when they went there, they wanted me. I did a lot because, you know, I was always in talking yeah. to people in the dining room and, you know, I've had so many, you know, developed yeah. even more... Friends and family, and get from customers. You know I mean, what I love just,
0: from your story, and what I think what was great is that entrepreneurial uh, aspect of what you're doing to, to try something different. Uh, I think we're very often guilty in this industry of just doing the same thing over and over and over again, yeah. the same business model. You know that we've been using the same restaurant business model that's been around for a hundred plus years. Mm-hmm. Where you know if you're making ten percent, you're doing good. Yes. So to get outside of that and to think of more like a class based or like a yeah. membership based thing, it just seems like it, yeah,
1: yeah. There are there are ways now, yeah, you know, yeah especially with
0: the internet where you can leverage those tools, the the systems mm-hmm. to, to pull this stuff together. I mean, I, I do something similar with restaurant stoppable network where I was having speakers come and lecture on a specific. We weren't cooking, but right. it was like, hey, like how how do you do your labor management or how do you like, like all the other stuff you have to know how to do Mm -hmm. to run a restaurant, Uh, inventory management, things like that, like workshops and stuff like that. So it's good to get outside of the the box that is the restaurant industry. to to Right. Yeah. I
1: mean, I'd been doing it at that point for quite a long time. So it was appealing to me to see some other things and it was really fun. And we had, you know, 500 very loyal customers. that loved what we did but yeah. it just wasn't enough yeah. you know and people were always complaining about no place to park or no place so ultimately
0: what made the decision
1: for you to close this uh exhaustion probably yeah. more than anything else and it just wasn't working and i was you know how did you but, feel eternally oh i felt ashamed and really sad and then of course then my father died oh my like goodness. the next month you know and so i was just i was worn. but there was a lot of shame there mm. was, and to me not so much i wasn't wasn't outward. I just felt like, oh Yeah. I didn't expect that. You well, know, it was such a great idea, you know. It was just I knew if it seemed like there was just some little magic key that we weren't finding. And yeah. a lot of it was just, you know, was practical like parking and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But it seemed like there was just something I didn't But it's kinda interesting because um Like some of the Brennan family, T. Martin and stuff, they came and they loved spice ink. That's what it was called. It kind of sounds,
0: it it reminds me almost a little bit of like Italy.
1: Yeah, it was kind of like that. And then they opened a place called Foodie's Kitchen that was sort of based on, you know, similar to our concept, and they didn't make it either. So, yeah (laughs) you know, actually, so eventually my shame transformed to being proud of what we tried to do yeah. and, and maybe that it just wasn't the right time. Maybe, you know, timing in life is very important. And, you know, maybe if, what would have been at the right time? I don't know. I mean, places like Koshan and butcher opened up, Donald opened those restaurants and there's still no parking, but they're like, yep. you know, maybe, maybe Uber, you know, might've, uh, helped, you know, if the ride share, you know, if people could have, come there and not worried about parking. Yeah. So you, you open know? in
0: 1997. you close in nineteen ninety nine
1: mm-hmm. and it was now, it two years almost exactly. It
0: wasn't around when you opened Herb, Herb Sane.
1: Well that was no. So that was like the following year. So finally, you know, yeah. So the Donald uh, Who's Donald? Donald Link, my was my partner. Okay. He was my sous chef at Biona for a long time. He it. owns he owns Herb Sane and Koshan and Butcher and Pesh and these places yeah we're, we're friends and we're just you know we're partners and uh so he w- he and his father-in-law were looking for a place downtown i really liked downtown that warehouse district and so uh my like the guy kenny that i was talking about my boyfriend at the time he was uh we were kind of thinking well maybe we should just open a restaurant in the warehouse district you know we were close. we did something that was really great but it just didn't work let's go back let's think about a restaurant and then ironically my old chef daniel bono had purchased a building on saint charles avenue and he had a restaurant in this building where herb saint is now and it was called Bizou. but he, you could tell that he his. i could tell or i felt like his heart just wasn't in it he had had other restaurants and i think he was just kind of ready to you know and i had jokingly said to him, cause I love the location. And I said, if you ever want to, you know, retire, yeah. you know, old man, if you want to retire, <laughs> I'll take over this space. And in fact, that's what happened.
0: Yeah. And I think that's an important lesson right there too. If you want something, let it be known. Yeah. Don't be like, don't like wish ill fate on this like yeah. business that I, you hope it fails, but like, Hey, like if, if for whatever reason that you, you want to move on from the space, I love mm-hmm. the space. Let me know. First rate of refusal. Yeah. And that, it doesn't hurt to put it out there. The universe can't give you what you want unless it knows what you want. Yeah. You got to tell the universe what to give you.
1: So that we just got to, I I talked to Donald and I was like, Hey man, why don't we do this together? Yeah. And he was like, okay. So we actually started with four partners.
0: So this is the first time we've had that many partners huh?
1: Yeah. But it was, it was great. Except, you know, one of them didn't work. out. Uh, We don't have to (laughs) name
0: names, but like what, what were the lessons behind that? I was
1: just, you know, um, I guess, you know, being too involved personally, just, it, it just worked out for a while. And then, and then, um, he bowed out and then there was three of us. And then after a few more years, I decided to, you know, then, then, uh, Oh, actually a little thing called Katrina happened.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. I'm sure that. Yeah. When was Katrina with was 2001, 2005, 2005. Um, yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine how that must have stopped things. Um, oh, yeah, it stopped everything. What about insurance? But not would, very, would you have something like flood? Would flood insurance oh, yeah. cover that? Well,
1: we didn't flood. I don't think you know a lot. Uh, like certain places didn't flood, but the there were other issues. Yeah. Um, but Donald got right back in and got. I was up in Jackson, Mississippi, because uh, you know there was no power and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, but Donald. How many Donald, was it? Months or weeks? Oh, weeks and weeks, yeah. yeah, and then you know, just trying to get people you know contractors yeah. and all that kind it was it just unbelievable it was like, the, the amount of the work smell that needed, and oh the God, everything and just uh oh, it was it was just amazing, my house flooded, oh my, so God. I was commuting back and forth yeah. from Jackson, Mississippi,
0: uh, oh. so what ended up happening with herbiy what was the final?
1: Oh, nothing it's still a so great the, restaurant Oh, you I sold just, your, your i sold my partnership it, to yeah. donald and then i opened mondo and he because at that point he had opened uh uh koshan and butcher and and he had made um his chef from herb saint was a partner and they're just kind of it just yeah. sort of um, you know wasn't enough for me to do so uh, as, you're, as
0: you're going through this career and having all these experiences opening these different types of restaurants how, what are you learning along the way? What are, how are these, <laughs> how are these, these, uh, so much, right? How do you answer that question? But how are these, uh, experiences influencing you as a restaurant tour in your, in your filter of just experience? Like, like how was this shifting and sculpting the woman you are, the restaurant tour you are today? How are you different because of it? What, what will you do? What won't you do because of it? Gosh,
1: Uh, That's a hard question. I don't know that I've evolved as much as I probably should have or if I've learned as much as I should have. Um, You know, I don't don't know. I still am trying to sort of figure out what I what I could have done differently. Like at Mondo, it was just so many employees and, you know, so labor has always been an issue Mm. for me that's the hardest part of a restaurant is how to how to wrangle that how to make that be you know how to pay people fairly and you know and generously and you know all the things that you want to do and be good to your employees and still afford to be an independent restaurateur i i find it I am still struggle with I, that, to I, tell you the truth.
0: Yeah, I think this is a great segue in, into uh, this is the part of the conversation where we talk about your past, mm-hmm. your past, and now we're current time. We're here today. Mm-hmm. Um, and by far, the most, whenever I ask the question in the speed round, what is your biggest challenge, the, big, the most common answer to that question is staffing. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think it's such a challenge right now? What's happening? What's different about right now that – i mean it's always been a challenge, i have no idea why i really way? have no
1: idea yeah. honestly i i try to read i try to talk to other chefs i mean we're we're struggling like you know really hard right now and i feel like i i pay people competitively i feel like you know they're not we close at nine o'clock they're not having to sell their souls and be here you know scrubbing down the restaurant at one in the morning or anything like that um
0: I think it's a combination of a bunch of things on.
1: Yeah. I think people uh, really feel like a
0: restaurant kitchen Can is you hear kind I of her right now. Oh, no. She's like growling, oh. groaning at me. To oh, her. she does this
1: thing. Yeah. She does a lot of mumbling and groaning Very now. She's pretty old. Local. So she, why'd you stop? me? Why'd you stop? Sorry. You no, should see some of the faces. She makes it me. She does. I just didn't want people to think that that was my that was stomach. stomach. No. Uh. But yeah, I, I think a lot of people are just. I think the restaurant kitchen just has a really bad rep.
0: I mean, it's the reputation, but I think you. But today, I have to rep, Yes, the
1: reputation's bad, but we got to be but honest. But the reality like, is. It's gotten not so that, much better. <laughs> so much better. You know? So, I mean, the pay is better. The, I think it's a combination you know, the, of so many
0: things. Like you're saying, the pay is better, the culture is better the 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 amount of energy people like if you asked a chef 10 years about 10 years ago like hey what are the core values of your kitchen they'd be like what the fuck? what do you mean the core values of my kitchen like mm. what's the vision what's the mission of like these are words core values vision mission like they are standard everybody who owns a business knows what these things are today I, I don't know if that's true 10 or 15 years ago the amount of effort and energy that goes into culture yeah can you you you've been around for 40 years in the industry am i I I don't know that for certain. Would you agree that there's, or do you disagree?
1: No, no, I think it's, I think it's, you know, it's certainly more employee oriented. There's always, you know, a, a, an important part of every restaurant has been to kind of create a culture. And I think that was another thing that I did at Biona where, you know, I always, when I started being in charge, I always, I never wanted to have either the front of house, back of house, headbutting yeah. or the day crew, night crew headbutting. I was like, you know, restaurants are stressful enough. We don't need that to create to manufacture, you know, these these kind of false mm. <laughs> adversarial kind of situations. So I mean it was always important to yeah. me to kind of, you know, have have that be better than what I had you know yeah. what it had traditionally been. But here, here are some of
0: the things I think contributing to it. You can tell me what you, if you want to weigh into it. But one is there's more restaurants than ever before. So the I don't think the hiring pool has changed. Yeah. I think that we're just all pulling from the same pool. And there f- there isn't just enough people to go around. No,
1: well, the people, I guess. You know, but I know that culinary schools are still cranking out people. I just don't know where they're going. I think they're just diversifying more. So the gig
0: economy is I think, pulling a lot of people who would work in restaurants are now either driving or, or dog sitting or going grocery shopping or doing, there's so many things you can do on your own time. Mm -hmm. You might not be making as much, but you have a lot of flexibility. Uh, I also think that the internet, you can make money online. Like point in case, if I didn't have a podcast, I'd be working in a restaurant, mm-hmm. you know. Um, this is
1: probably a lot more fun for you, and I love
0: it. Yeah, and and there's tons of opportunities online. That's pulling from the restaurant industry, whether you're a creator or you're like an influencer. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're, oh my god! I hate the fact that I'm technically, <laughs> I, I hate the being I label as an influencer. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's just so much opportunity out there. Like, so you see, you have all these other industries on the rise. The restaurant industry might be kind of collapsing a little bit caving in on itself a little bit but you see you gotta ask yourself what's on the rise right now and and there's so much on the rise right now so i think it's a matter of the restaurant industry kind of looking at the world the landscape the ecosystem that it is today and asking how can we change what we're doing to coexist in this new landscape yeah like, to change the model to 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 do more online things and have that
1: marketplace Just do more different things in general you know and I don't know. I mean, for me, it's really fun. You know, I get stressed out. I mean, we had kind of a rough night, you know, Saturday night. It Mm -hmm. was because, you know, whatever, all the things. So people I just maybe don't want. I don't know. You know, it's all I know how to do. So um, I love it. I love the hard work. I You know, and taken as a whole and balancing the good times and the bad times, for me, it still works. You know, it's still... Yeah. is satisfying to me in so many, many ways. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's a great career. I really do. I think it's, you know, I think it's fun.
0: Yeah. So to be a, it, I mean, it can be fun, but I think it's a choice. And that, that's one of the things that I, I identified about you early in our conversation is when, like, early on, and I think this is another thing um, where the internet, social media, really, and I hate to, like, I'm always, like, harping on social media. I'm, I'm like, as somebody who has a digital business you Mm -hmm. know you think that i would be more like pro social media but i think part of the issue too is that we a lot of young people look online and they see all these young people um this get having the sense of working for yourself and this this desire for autonomy and free will i think Um,
1: i think it's a huge factor i think people don't really like having bosses no. that much and you know? i think we're
0: more aware than ever that you don't have to have a boss and yeah. it's never been easier than ever to not have a boss yeah. i think that's a big part of it i think it's huge yeah so you something you said earlier is you're kind of always just satisfied and i think people generally speaking today are much more insatiable than ever before because we're constantly comparing ourselves to others we see people who are successful and Online right the all these success stories online and we think that that's normal mm-hmm. It's not freaking normal those are the outliers but when we in an ocean of outliers and when we always see or outliers outliers people out there who are successful and That's all we see we think that's normal yeah. We compare ourselves to that and we are, we're unsatisfied with who we are and no wonder why there's so many people who are so depressed depressed and just because <laughs> they just they, they compare themselves to I'll Ridiculous. tell you what's
1: depressing is the whole concept of quiet quitting. <laughs> quiet quitting. Oh my, god. oh my god! Like doing the minimal amount. You know, trying to get away with the minimal amount of effort. At is that your something that's new? That, oh yeah, that's a you whole. never
0: noticed that before.
1: Well, I mean, it's.
0: Um, Do you think it's because the, the employee has more leverage than ever before, and they can't? Yes, they know I guess you know that they don't have, have to, to exert me. themselves. <laughs> but
1: oh my god, that's yeah. just like how. What's even the point of that is, I guess, just getting a paycheck. I mean, because to me, you know, being engaged is yeah so important, you know. And
0: I think that's, yes. And I think that's one of the things to come full circle. You, you were satisfied with doing the work. And the work, and I think people need to recognize that, you got to do the work.
1: Yeah. It's the process to yeah. me. That's as much fun as, as the result of, you know, like, I mean, I still look at plates coming in the kitchen and like to see a clean plate and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, I, I love the process of yeah. what I do Like you get at, you have to get satisfaction from that. But I think that's know. what
0: we need to communicate to people is to embrace the work yeah. and, and to, to, to learn that like you're, if you're seeking this pie in the sky world where some jabroni online is telling you this is my life this is my life the reality is that one they're an outlier and two that's really not their life there's parts of their life that you're not seeing so you can't mm-hmm. compare yourself to that but just learn to to embrace the work yeah and right. know like and just and, and it's like that that buddhist mindset of like it's like this and i can choose to be i can choose to be upset and unsatisfied and or i can choose to to go into the work like you've done to embrace the, the work, to be curious about the work, to learn, to, to ask questions, to travel, to, 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 to force yourself to grow. But even, yeah, and there's, and, and there's happiness growing, But
1: there's still happiness in, in doing, I still get happiness in doing the same things. Like when I was, when I was working the line at Biona and stuff, and we do this dish of sweet breads that we were known for, you know, and it's yeah. just lightly dusted in flour and sauteed with lemon and capers, you know, and mushrooms and potatoes. And it's just like, oh, man, you know, every time I put up a perfect plate of those, you know, I just got such a sense of, you know, happiness. And I still do. It It's like what I make, you know, shrimp creole here at, at – and I still work the line here at Rosedale. And every time I put up a plate that I know – you know, I, I, like that's me on the plate, man. That's- I hope you know how inspiring that is. Well,
0: you know, it
1: inspires. You know, um,
0: after forty years of doing it, and, and to be able to to continue to show up and to still find that you are growing and that you are still loving the work and that yeah, that's that to me is inspiration. That to well, thank me,
1: you. yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, well, I hope you know my goal. I hope you know. I, I hope that I inspire my employees somewhat and i try to teach them so much and really i try to i always say my goal is to make you more valuable employee when you leave here or a more valuable whatever maybe you don't want to be an employee but a more well-rounded more valuable and i I really think yeah going out into the world
0: and i do think that's what we're in the business of at the end of the day we're in the business of growing people yes uh and creating opportunity for others for everything yeah for sure. So the mission and statement again, I'm going to echo it one more time is to inspire, empower and transform the industry. How have you personally transformed? Who are you today versus the woman you were when you got into this industry? I think part of the theme is you haven't really changed. No,
1: I think I, I mean, I think I have, I think yeah. I'm, you know, i I tried to be a nicer, you know, it's always my goal to be a more effective manager. I've tried, I've consciously tried to do that. I'm there are, you know, I think I am better at just, you know, I, um, <laughs> you know, not just yelling or or being demanding or whatever. You know, I'm trying to make it more of a uh, an exchange. You know, I try to be a better listener, uh-huh. which is really hard for me. I'm not. I always, you know. Well, the,
0: these. I mean, the biggest part they say of listening or a conversation is the listening right? Yeah. so how how have you become a better listener like well,
1: you know you just have to shut up <laughs> <laughs> not you know and not just try to first seek to understand then, then know, seek to be understood yeah, isn't that yeah, one of the other try to seven enforce habits? your will on people just sort of try to you know hear what they have to say i mean there's you know Oh, gosh. I don't know. I just try to... I think I'm a nicer person. Better... I think I'm a better manager. Um, I think I appreciate people's point of view a little bit more. Chef Spicer is more seasoned. (laughs) Yes. Correct. And it's, you know, it's fine. You don't have to... You really don't have to yell. You can just, you know, explain why something's important. You know, I had somebody... I tasted one of our dishes the other day and and it was super bland and i'm like you know did you taste these these really don't yeah they need everything and and it was like well no i just heated them up and i'm like you know the customer's gonna notice this if if we can't be bothered to even taste what we're serving then why should they be bothered to you know come back i mean it, it you just can't have that mindset you know and I, and the other thing I say is you know we're cooks we're not assembling ingredients we're cooking we're you know we're doing this we're invested you know yeah. and so I try to just sort of explain it that way yeah. where I might have just before said you know yeah, you know. <laughs>
0: just make the point with the noise but it's really
1: right. true you know it is I yeah. mean it's like and and besides why wouldn't you that's what I could yeah. never understand if you're a cook why don't you taste you know, what you're serving? You know what you're pride. making. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want yeah. to? Yeah, I want to taste everything all the time. <laughs> you know, uh, uh,
0: I've loved this conversation. You. Uh, you were a blast. We're gonna take one more quick break to thank our sponsors, okay. and we'll bust out a speed round. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. Will be leading a group of restaurant through the restaurant systems pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs ten thousand dollars a month to have Fred in your restaurant. But during this no cost to you 60 day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the restaurant. Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts and seats, and that's not it. P. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. I don't need to tell you that it's harder than ever right now to be a restaurateur. The cost of goods are going up, labor expenses are going up. People don't want to work in the industry. Anybody who had experience has, has gone on to different verticals or different industries. And we are just stuck with a lot of people who are very green and. How, how do we increase sales if nobody knows how to sell? Well, you empower them with the right tools. And one tool out there that you need to know about is called SRV, which stands for Study Restaurant Variety, created by Roger Baldwin from Restaurant Rockstars, a name I'm sure you recognize for his multiple appearances on the show, and his co-founder and co-creator, Zalen Jacobson, who you'll be working with. This is a tool that will help your team memorize your menu, your uh your culture, uh everything anything you need to train them, your entire training manual is now in an app and accessible anywhere in Really what it is, is an interactive learning tool and it's a great way to invest in your team and to make them feel valued. There's a lot of data supporting that this is how the next generation of professionals prefer to learn. So if you need a tool out there to empower your staff, to train your staff, uh, to, to give them the knowledge they need to be sales stars, then check out srvnow.com. Click the link that says request a demo and that will bring you to a page where you fill out your information. The very last field, make sure you let them know that Restaurant Unstoppable sent you their way. They will pay us a commission of $1,500 if you use that link and you, you sign up with them. And I just have to say thank you in advance. We're trying to take Restaurant Unstoppable to the next level. And this is one way we can do that by just spreading the word about these tools. And uh, I believe in what they're doing over there. So you're in good hands. Uh, thank you in advance. All right. Do it now. We're back, and the first question I have for you is: What is your "it" factor—a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success?
1: Uh, sincerity. Mm. What is your biggest weakness? I'm judgmental. Mm. What do you mean, of people, of food, or like? Um, people probably. Yeah.
0: i i recognize that about myself sometimes
1: how do you overcome that uh try to be a better listener try to understand i think you know if you kind of try to learn a little bit more about where people are coming from you Mm -hmm. can you know i think that just trying to see beyond just
0: yeah you know surface yeah what is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing your team
1: kind of look for a spark Mm -hmm. you know kind of look for especially like when we're talking about you know if if there's food if food enters the conversation i want to see a little spark get excited yeah yeah that's how i just hired my you know my most recent chef de cuisine is you know when he started talking about something his granddad used to make for him you know he just kind of got mm, you know, to go there yeah, yeah. uh share w- your biggest challenge
0: today i have a feeling i know what this answer is gonna
1: be. <laughs> yeah the same the same as yeah. everybody else yeah. it's just finding people we're short so many people now and there's nobody walking in the door and i you know it's it's hard to figure out why and it's a little bit hard not to take it personally i wouldn't take it personally no, but, you know.
0: <laughs> I hear you, but you're doing an amazing job. And I think, I think whenever, if you're listening to this and you feel you're, you're sharing that sentiment, know that you're not alone, you know, and it's hard yeah. to get outside of the four walls of your restaurant and to not realize that, I mean, you're still in business. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, that I, says I know. <laughs> I mean, I do talk to, you know, people and I know that, you know, everybody's in the same boat, but then. You know, you just go like, "What are we doing wrong?" You yeah. know
0: why? You know, I, I honestly, and this is me pulling back the more layers, and I was supposed to be a speed round, but we hear a lot about people talking about the recession, how there's an impending recession, and I, I hear that, I'm like, "Is there one yet?" I mean, or, or, or have we had two quarters of declining numbers? I think is technically what defines, like, I don't know what the the actual definition of that is, but I think a lot of times we we manifest this stuff. We scare people like the, the news comes out like, Oh, yeah. get worried. Like start, don't, don't spend, don't spend. I think we force ourselves into recessions until the news
1: changes. But strangely <laughs> enough, this is our best year ever. Right. You know, we're in our sixth year and yeah. we're, you know, <laughs> the demand is, is there, you know, yeah. it just, we're having to cut shifts because uh, we can't stop them.
0: Yeah. It's tough. It is. Um, well, you're not alone. I know. <laughs> Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach a team, uh, a core value, a way to be. Well,
1: invested.
0: Mm. Invested in the work? Yes. Yeah. Uh, in,
1: oh. Yes.
0: What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is something that's common within your restaurants to go above and beyond what's expected,
1: but not common throughout the industry. Hmm. I don't. I don't know. That's one of the questions that stumped me. <laughs> I don't know that. You know, trying to connect with people, but I think everybody, yeah. you know, in this industry, tries to do that. I can't think of something that.
0: What do you mean by trying to connect with somebody? You, give an example well, just, of that.
1: Um, you know, trying to just the you know. At what level? Uh, you know, just on the level of of making people feel welcome yeah. and, you know, all that. You know, and yeah. just and anticipating, you know, trying to just do something a little... The show people Special, you care. Yeah, to yeah. That's what I mean.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, what is one book that's a must read to make well, a better person or a uh, restaurant owner?
1: Oh, uh, that's, you know, I would say, I mean, I don't read a lot of restaurant, you know, how to and stuff, but I did read Danny Meyer's book and yeah. I know that's one that's got to come up a lot and that's about, you know, connecting the dots Yeah. And, you know, ABC, and, Yeah. always be connected kind of or ABCD, yeah. I think.
0: Always be connected. Yeah, that. that made
1: an impression on me, and and also being in his restaurants. Yeah, you know, it was always such a great experience.
0: And I think that's something we fall short of, as an industry, is really what we are is we're a community center. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've lost sight of what restaurants are and what bars are. They're public houses, pub, public houses. The origin is amazing. Like what what, yeah. what where this industry started from? Where they're literally literally city centers. You, it was the internet. You wanted the news. You wanted to, to socialize the social media. Like you well, went that, to the pub.
1: That was certainly like so evident post Katrina. If you you know, and yeah. I think post you know in this climate change area, there's so many of those events now. But you know, when people started when the restaurants started opening back up, and people would just come, and there were just you know reunions and and, and people seeing each other, and there were tears, and there was yeah. you know just joy and. You know, just the yes, the restorative nature of being around people mm. and and saying, you know, we are going to get through this.
0: What is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough?
1: Um, I think you can
0: use the same. Answer I don't know. You time.
1: know, maybe recognize their their regulars.
0: Hmm. Connecting people yeah Yeah, connecting
1: but i mean that's something that like commander's palace when i first started going there the brennan family you know they just like you know and now we can do it because we've got it's easier to do because you've got software that Mm -hmm. you know collects your database and you know that people uh, you know but yeah you can get a heads up
0: you know they're coming
1: but i think it's important for you know For waiters, I think you know, yeah, to call people by name and to recognize them, it still just makes you feel it's like the Cheers thing, you know. It's yeah.
0: What is one piece of technology you've recently adopted in your restaurant that's having a huge impact on communication, efficiency, profitability, or anything along those lines? You were just talking about the technology you use to help know people's names. What's that?
1: um, Well, we use Resi for you know Resi, and we didn't do that prior to COVID. It became kind of more important uh, to.
0: So there was a lot of options out there. You have Resy. you have, uh, I think Reserve is another one. Open Table's another one. Why yeah. Why Open Resi?
1: Table's, I think, we used at uh, Biona for many years. It just got a little pricey, you know, yeah. pre- prohibitively. Resi seems a little more, uh, I think, better for the restaurant. I yeah. think it's, you know, they're both pretty user-friendly for the customers, but I think Resi is is a little more um, price friendly. We use Toast as our POS system, it gives us a lot of reports and things. So, was that's that a change good. you made during the pandemic as well? No, that was prior. We we that probably uh, helped. Yeah, with the online ordering options. Yeah, yeah, certainly did.
0: This is the last question. Okay. Oh my gosh. We made it. <laughs> you did great. The last question is: If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work in your restaurants, would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind the looks Please. that are coming across That's Chef three Spicer's face right now. I mean, you've got to have three pieces of wisdom there. I know you do. What oh. are they? Narraton, three big things that you could leave behind for your legacy. What were those big? The- Gosh. Um, I can, just from hearing I, the story, I, I think I
1: could I <laughs> wish you would. Say? I, I don't know. Uh, I think. Um, have some animals in your life? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> not just not just that one. I have lots of cats too, but uh, I think they make you a more empathetic person. I think she might be the most needy one, though. <laughs> What's
0: her <laughs> name? A rattler?
1: rattler. Rattler. She's been with us for a long time. Yeah. So, um, yes, yeah. True. But I think uh, I think it's true. I've seen my my stepdaughter, who is a kind of you know she's evolved from yeah. you know not liking animals very much when she was a kid to having a dog now and being a total, uh, sucker. They're not judgy. That's for sure. They're not, (laughs) you know, everybody needs a little, a little unconditional love. more animals in (laughs) your life,
0: more love in your life.
1: Um, just, you know, be engaged with Mm -hmm. what you do. I mean, one thing that I'm kind of worried about with this, you know, supposed retirement, uh, that, you know, I keep talking about which will probably never happen is what am I gonna do that's gonna engage me as much as yeah, cooking has. I've gotta I'm you know I've gotta find something. Yeah. Keep do. the mind going. Yeah. Be engaged and, and you know, be active and uh more
0: animals in your life, be engaged.
1: And uh I don't know. Read books.
0: Read books. I've <laughs> loved today's conversation, Chef Susan Spicer. Uh, how can we connect with you if uh, we enjoyed today's chat and we maybe want to come to join, visit, join your team? I'm sure that'd yes. be Yes. Oh, awesome. absolutely. Uh, well, we
1: have a Rosedale website, and uh, you know, I think it's just www.rosedalerestaurant.com or uh, rosedale801 at gmail.com. Awesome. I check it every day multiple times probably awesome
0: uh, and who do you respect and admire and believe would make a great guest on the show and this oh. is how I found you who do you think needs to be made an example of in this industry
1: um, I, well I would have to say my former sous chef Amaris uh, Jordan uh, and her husband there you have the restaurant Palm and Pine and they're Amaris? an interesting story Amaris A-M-A-R-Y-S herndon jordan and her husband oh wait no amaris herndon jordan is her husband amaris and jordan herndon
0: amaris and jordan look out i'm coming after you i'd love to get you on the show
1: i know they're they're favorites of frank's too but their um, place is great i'll have to
0: check them out and the only thing that's left to say is chef susan there is no questioning you are unstoppable (laughs) thank you Thank you so far. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at restaurant unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today. Chef Susan Spicer, our first interview on the road here in New Orleans. And it was such a great trip. I'm actually recording this towards the end of our trip. And you guys are in for such a treat great lessons in our first recording today. Be true to yourself and just do things that make you happy and also just be satisfied with where you are now and choose to embrace the work and just put your nose down do the work and it will pay off opportunities will come your way and just the amount of humility on this woman uh, so impressive what she's accomplished and just it's just it's refreshing is the only thing I can think of uh, thank you again to chef Susan Spicer if you guys enjoyed this episode and you want more like it please support this podcast there's a ton of ways you can support the podcast you can support our sponsors you can use our affiliate links you can share this sucker with anybody and anyone you know trying to aspire to be better in the restaurant industry and you can also come hang out at restaurant unstoppable network we have plans to really take that thing to the next level and lastly please subscribe to our youtube channel youtube.com restaurant unstoppable you guys are in for a treat Uh, we are adding a layer of video to every interview we do Uh, we're doing an abbreviation for those of you who may want like a 30 minute version of restaurant unstoppable and you want the highlights, then you want to head over to youtube.com slash restaurant unstoppable. We're going to be giving you a highlight reel. And uh, we have a professional videographer, Sam from Sav and Sam.com is doing an amazing job. I'm so excited to take this thing to the next level. You will help us do that by subscribing. Uh, The only other thing I want to say is special thanks to uh, Jared Parisi over at Sumadre Podcasts. And if you guys are interested in doing your own podcast, I highly recommend his services. That's it for today. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.